And good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis. Patty is off today. Oh, you want your microphone on? Of course. Uh, yes, she is. Uh, she'll be back with us next week. And our guest today is Lori Birch. Lori's an attorney who specializes in family law type things like wills, trusts. Estate planning. Estate planning. And probate. And probate. Yeah. And you do it for families and... I do it for families. It, it actually has a lot more to do with families than actually family law, which is about divorces and ripping children away from their parents. Oh, I love ripping that's children. Just, that's just for my family law friends out there. I, I'm just teasing. Her, her practice is more about keeping things together. Yes, and creating a, a legacy of, of love and well, remembrance. Well, that's family. That, that's what it I is. think It is. It should be family law. I'm just telling you technically it's... It's not. ...estate planning. <laughs> <laughs> You're so close, David, and yet so far. <laughs> Well, I'm just thinking of Gabrielle, uh, Laurent's daughter, right. who I just love seeing her ripped away from Laurent. Oh, God. Yeah. No, no. That would not be funny. <laughs> See, and I wouldn't do that. No. That's what family law attorneys do. Exactly. She would keep us together. <laughs> exactly. Which is one reason why we have her here today, because... Lori, not Gabrielle. No, Lori. Because if Gabrielle was here, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, but we want to talk about what we need to do to keep ourselves together <laughs> legally. Well, especially in light of the abortion ruling and what is, has been promised to come to follow that. I, I wouldn't say promised, but maybe alluded to. Yeah. I, I still have a glimmer of hope. Well, yeah, well, well I don't think you should. Well, let's, <laughs> let's be more specific. One justice. It was more than alluded to it. He, was, he couldn't have been more clear. It was clear as day. One justice said that they need to revisit the three cases he mentioned, and one was a Obergefell. And another right. one was Lawrence. Another one was Lawrence. Which and then the, the other one case. was the Sodom case. And then the third one had to do with uh, contraception. I forgot the name of that case. Griswold. Griswold, thank you. Yes, because so. it's all part of the privacy rights that have been found and upheld over and over again in our Constitution that suddenly they, they just can't <clears throat> find it anymore. Right. Maybe they went missing. It went missing. <laughs> so let's just talk. All points bulleted. <laughs> right, right. Let's talk about where we are now and what people should have. Like a will. Right. If I'm married, why do I need a will? I, I'm glad you asked it that way, David, because first of all, you know, my practice has spanned before we even had the Windsor case. So pre-marriage equality, pre-anything. Pre so I've kind of been around the block. And what I want to emphasize before we talk about what, how this affects us is that none of this planning is, is new. None of this planning is things that you shouldn't have already been doing. None of this planning is things that the most boring straight couple that's been married for decades should not also have. These are all things that if you care about your family, your loved ones, and your children, you should put on your you know, big, big pants and get this done. It, what is different for our community is the consequences of not having it. And if they overturn either Obergefell or Windsor or both, that are, are very grave, pardon the pun, uh, very grave, grave consequences. With that said, there are some special considerations. Um, one thing when it comes to wills, yes, everybody should have a will, everybody should have powers of attorney to make sure people can, hand, you know, the people that you choose can make financial decisions for you, visit you in the hospital, make medical decisions. 
But what I want to emphasize is just even if you're married, you don't have automatic rights to do that. And so it is important, regardless of what happens, regardless, regardless of the state of law now, how it was and where it's going, you should have these things to protect your loved ones. Um, the difference is, is when you're married, you have some legal rights to fall back on in absence of that. But um, one special consideration that's actually been happening over the last couple years is a will is still subject to probate court, mm -hmm. meaning that a judge still has to oversee it, mm -hmm. approve it, gets tied up there. And so I do think that there, it, there's been a shift in my practice certainly over the last few years because probate has become a nightmare in Texas. It used to be somewhat simpler. It's not anymore. And so everybody has been looking at this. But I think particularly for our community, they might want to transition to something a little more advanced, such as a revocable living trust that would actually take any of your asset distribution, um, how you set things up for, who, for whom, who is going to be in charge, if it's a same-sex partner or spouse, to make sure that they put that so it's not under the purview of any sort of government entity. So it's just, I mean, I can go on and on about the different things people should do, but that's definitely one consideration that might be a little bit more specialized for our community at this time. So I'm glad you mentioned, um, just a moment ago, you mentioned that certain things, people assume that, um, like, medical decisions and so forth, just because you're married, it's not automatic. Right, and yes. so <laughs> I, I was thinking about, and I think that's a, that's a big misnomer. I've been battling that my entire practice, that and online forums. It's a, it's a big <laughs> mi misunderstanding and misnomer. And I think, like, the, there was the case, oh, my God, what was the case, the, the woman in Terry Florida? Shivo. Terry Shivo. It's always Florida, right? It's always Florida. It's always Florida. So for those okay, of you I have a good Terry Shivo story, but we, go we, ahead. So, you um, hear that every day. Terry Shivo. I, what was that, five, six, seven years ago? Something no, like that. it was oh, 2005. Was that that long ago? It was, it was right around the time my father died. Okay, okay. Yeah. So this woman went into a coma. Early 20s, by the way, for those of you who think you can just put this off. Right, right. Early 20s. Right. Early 20s. In, 20s. in a coma. Mm -hmm. And her family, her mother and father, wanted to keep her on life support. Her legally wed husband did not. Correct. Guess who they gave authority to her legally wed husband so I think that well it was a huge court battle it was a huge and court battle it actually went to the legislature and went back and forth but they ultimately gave it to him they ultimately had to take testimony for what they thought Terry's wishes would be. But okay. this went on for years. Okay, um, so when my father died, the week he went into the hospital, the hospital called me and said, would you like us to keep your father on life support? And this was Boca Raton Hospital uh, in Florida. So I said, um, I thought in your state the governor has to give approval for taking somebody off life support. And they said, well, the governor will never know, and kind of laughed. I said, oh, yeah, he will. So I called up Jeb Bush his office and I said I uh, hospital just called and wants to know if uh, I want to take my father off life support if it gets to that point I understand I need approval from your office and they hung up on me <laughs> so I called him back five times and they kept hanging up on me and I told the hospital you do not take him off life support because your governor will not give approval, and I want this to cost your state as much as possible. <laughs> hmm. So, I mean, what, what so happened? That was just me that being obnoxious. That is such a David Taffer story. It, it, it I've is. never heard one.
So it, what happened in Florida? And I just bring that up as, again, that's what people kind of assume, that if I'm married to somebody, I have the final say-so when it comes right. to medical decisions. What had Terry Schiavo had a written will that spelled out Or a medical power or attorney, attorney or an advanced Would directive. that have avoided all of that? Yes. Gotcha. I mean, you know, it's America. You can fight over it. Okay, yeah, but, all this stuff is the challenge. Yes, and actually there was another issue when she actually did pass away where they also fought over cremation and burial. And that's oh. something not all attorneys do, but a lot of the attorneys like myself who focus on the LGBTQ community, we go the extra mile in doing every sort of, of plan, piece of planning that you can do. And one thing that we do in Texas, now I do it to both protect uh, my clients, but also it has a really cool title, Appointment of Agent to Control Disposition of Remains. Oh, just, oh, right. right. Um, so I don't I know that I needed to describe big, what it means, but just in case you're unclear, <laughs> <laughs> this is to guide, um, you know, who gets to oversee those final arrangements. And actually, pre all the marriage equality stuff, I had two instances with same-sex couples where that particular <laughs> document came up. Fortunately, mm. they were both results where these were clients of mine that already did it. One was a family trying to challenge it, but the partner was able to step in with that document. The other one, though, and I think this is something that we don't talk enough about because we assume like animus and issues but I, I've always called this institutional uncertainty and boy now with what's on the table it's going to get even worse where people don't know whether they can honor certain things so I had a gentleman whose partner had passed away and the funeral director was saying I want to honor your wishes I know the relationship but I don't know if I can so luckily he was able to produce the appointment of agent to control disposition of remains to the and, and be able to do all of that. And so I've seen that a lot. I mean, even our own community, I was talking to you guys earlier about how Kimberly and I got married in Memphis at Graceland, by the way. And I, you know, people asked us, well, is that valid here in Texas? So it's like, how do we not know this now? But yeah. there are a lot of people, a lot of doctors, uh, you know, banks, and they, they, you know, funeral directors don't necessarily know what the state of the law is. And now we're in a really fun period of time where it might change again. Wow. Wow. So, not you need to give a, here to give a class, but can you kind of give a general, what's the difference between a will and a living trust? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I am always happy to answer questions. I know the answer to. So, you know, <laughs> a will is kind of a fundamental document that basically spells out, if I pass away, this is how I want my assets distributed, and this is who I want in charge of doing that. And then if you have young kids, which I think is important to get to, because that's another big, big issue right now, uh, can establish guardianship for the kids and so forth. But a will still has to go through a probate court process, which a lot of people don't realize. Now, it makes probate easier and faster and more efficient um, compared to no will, but the most important thing that a will is doing is your wishes are going to be carried out. Um, but, you know, it can take, a good, you know, $3,000, it can take six months before you can give it a hearing, uh, you know, uh, accounts are frozen, things are locked down, and it's a public record, which I also think can be something interesting for our community with the state of where the law may be going. So, w there are lots of different things you can do with your assets to potentially, quote-unquote, avoid probate, but this, the, the kind of standard bearer is what's called a revocable living trust. Now, don't think that you have to have, like, a top hat and monocle to have a document like this. It has nothing to do 
listen to me, nothing to do with how much money you have or anything like that. It's exactly the same thing as a will for the most part. It says all the same things, but basically if you create this trust and you can put your home into it, bank accounts into it, beneficiaries into it, you still run your life the same way you do now. Um, you want to sell a house, buy a new house, close an account, open an account, do all of that. There's no separate tax ID or tax return or anything like that. The difference comes when you pass away, if everything's connected to this trust, there is no probate. So the people that you've named to step in, in a will traditionally called an executor, executor in, a tr in a trust appropriately called a trustee, but same sort of function, can immediately step in. Um, they don't have to wait to go to court. It can reduce, if not completely eliminate, um, any of the probate fees, which can be in the thousands of dollars, mm -hmm. even with a will. And it's private. It's not a public record. So it's a lot more insulated to um, potential contests or issues. And in, not to say you can't contest it, but <coughs> it's a lot harder because it's very private. And the big thing is there's no government involvement or approval or anything like that. So it's a very efficient um, thing to do. The only reasons that people sometimes will steer clear of it is because they are a little bit more expensive to set up than a will, and there's more work to do. But it's it, if you like ROI, that's return on investment, mm -hmm. it will save so much more money and so much more time at the time that your family and loved ones need it most. Now, I know it's important for everyone to have a will and all these other documents, but is it extra and more important for a single person to have it? It's important for anybody to have it. I mean, if, if you don't want your house or your bank accounts to get tied up in a court system in the state of Texas, I mean, I can't believe we've gotten this long without using my tagline, if you don't have a will, the state of Texas has one for you. And so, I mean, that's the thing, is the court's going to decide who, or the state's going to decide where assets go, they're going to decide how it's distributed, I mean, and, and if you have kids, they're going to establish your guardian, um, they're going to establish, you know, the money's going to court registry and go to kids at age 18, which nobody, I mean, we're parents, you know, nobody wants their kids to have money at 18 to control themselves. And, and another thing that, that sometimes people don't realize here in Texas, and keep in mind this is Texas, when you have children from a pe previous relationship, if you you pass away, those kids will actually inherit the property, um, the community property of their parents. So there's a lot of blended families, a lot of stepkids. You don't have a will, and you know your let's say your your husband or wife dies, and they have kids, and they don't have a will. Your half of the house is going to them. Now, does that need, it, it, does that need to be stipulated in a will, or is it just automatic? It's not. Yeah. So what I just described is one of the default laws of Texas. How assets are distributed without a will. Without a will. When, okay. You know, I tell people, it's Burger King, you have it your way. You know, whatever <laughs> you want to put in your will for the most part, I mean, I've had some strange things over the years, but for the most part, you can do it. Like, you take control of it. That's the whole point. It, you don't have to give anything to a spouse. You don't have to give anything to family members. You don't have to give anything to kids. Those are a lot of other misunderstandings. Uh, but you do um, have to mention them? So you should. You absolutely should. You should mention them to exclude them. And then this whole like BS that I hear about leaving them in a dollar and everything, don't do that, at least in Texas. Like, don't do that because you're requiring your executor to find them, put them on notice, give them a copy of the will, and then give them that money. You can just disinherit them. It's a thing. So you can't. I, I, I have heard that another attorney said that that may not be a good idea. To specifically mention somebody that you don't want to leave them in a will. That you don't want to mention them? Yeah. Well, but if it's a relative, like if it's, if you were excluding Gabrielle, she'd have recourse. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Don't listen to any other attorneys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's your one takeaway. Let's talk for We just have a couple of minutes before we need to take a break about powers of attorney. Right. There are economic powers of attorney. Mm -hmm. Yes. Financial. Yeah, so, you know, there, this one takes a lot of different forms. It can be called a general power of attorney, um, a uh, general power of attorney. Uh, we, we at our firm use the statutory durable power of attorney because that's what's actually defined by statute. And the reason why is because banks are notorious for not understanding hardly anything, frankly. And so I want my clients, when they're presenting this to a bank, for them to pull up their little manual of what a, a power of attorney should look like and see the exact form that we've given them. But bottom line is, you know, typically in the vernacular, we'll say a financial power of attorney to help distinguish it from a medical power of attorney. And that is, and keep in mind, it's only when you, it's only valid while you're alive. So this is a situation where you're hospitalized in an accident. In my mom's case, she was in Hawaii and wanted me to refinance her mortgage. And because I'm her favorite child, of course, I have her power of attorney. And of course, I do what she says, which is why I'm the favorite. So I was able to take her power of attorney to a bank and refinance her mortgage while she's sipping a Mai Tai on the beach. <laughs> and she came back and said... She she came back and said thank you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And here's your souvenir coconut. And um, where this uh, a medical power of attorney differs from a marriage license. Uh, let me give my example. When the night we brought Brian to the hospital, um, now fortunately it was Parkland. Parkland has full uh, non-discrimination. Other hospitals in Dallas not so much, from what I can find from who will talk to me and even let me know that they don't. Um, but Parkland does, and they said to me, uh, are you next of kin? And I said, yes. And they said, are you married? I said, yes. They said, legally? I said, yes. They said, fine. And that was the end of it. So right. they accepted that we were married. Not every hospital will accept that. No, and you got lucky because yes. technically an argument can be made that they should not have done that. I'm very happy that they did, and I'm very ha happy that a lot of medical facilities will do that because they understand what the end game is. But what if the two of you were in the middle of a bitter divorce? What if you were estranged? What if there was domestic violence? I mean, what? who's to say just because you're married, you should be, that that's the one, that you're the one that he would have wanted to make decisions. So if you, if you like to roll the dice, don't have any of this. But if you really want to make sure that in the gravest moments of your life, that you're the ones that you want to make decisions for you will be empowered to do that without jumping through hoops or having delays or extra heartache, you need to have these documents done and you need to have it done by an attorney. Do not go online. It's not better than nothing. It's worse than nothing because at least people who don't have anything realize they don't have anything. Hmm. Hmm. We need to take a break. We're talking to Lori Birch. She's an attorney uh, who doesn't do family law. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back with more with Lori right after this. Hi, this is Candy Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. Listen. And Candy will be our guest next week. Yep. I actually do a good impression of her, by the way. Let's hear. Well, I just think that's so wonderful, Lori. I'm just so glad that all of these things are happening. I just think the best things are ahead for you. <laughs> well, oh, you listen to Candy, right? Because <laughs> that was spot on. She, she, she knows. She knows. She's heard it. That's spot on. We love Candy. We love Candy. Yeah. We're talking to Lori Birch. She is an attorney. 
uh, who recently had a new baby. Yes, that's right. Eight weeks. Yeah. Nine weeks. Nine Two months. months. Let's go with that. And you're adopting your own biological child. <laughs> yes, I am. Explain. Yeah, you gotta please. love that. Yes. So I had my eggs frozen, and then um, we went through you know the IVF process. But it's actually in our case called reciprocal IVF. So when the um, the eggs were fertilized, we had to, we ended up with two healthy embryos, and rather than have them transferred to me to carry, they were transferred to my wife Kimberly to carry. And so um, Kimberly gave birth, and in Texas, to be a legal mother, so, I mean, it's, it's somewhat sex discrimination technically, but to be a legal mother in Texas, you either had to give birth or adopt. Well, I did not give birth to my children, even though if you see Adley, my three-year-old, she literally looks like you've copied my face and pasted it on hers. Um, same highlights in the hair. Yeah, same <laughs> highlights. Uh, maybe that's just covering up the grave because I don't want people to think I'm a grandma having kids this late in life. <laughs> I will say this. You know, the upside of having kids later in life is that you already know what it's like to feel tired all the time. So, um, anyway... <laughs> I, you know, technically to be recognized as their legal parent, um, I have to adopt them. And we are going through that process right now because it's, it doesn't look like the law is going to shift. You mentioned two. Isn't there a third way to be recognized there, as a it's, 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 It still goes through a court process. It's okay. like being adjudicated by the court. So okay. it's not. Okay. And what does this involve? Uh, you don't want to know. <laughs> so, uh, so it's actually somewhat offensive, um, and not just because of my situation, them being my own biological children, but I'm, I'm somewhat blown away at the adoption process because I, um, I, I understand a lot of it, you know, background checks and asking certain things and home studies, but asking me questions like what were my values growing up, what was my father like, what was my mom oh, wow. like, what religion I was raised in, am I planning on raising these children in a particular religion, um, and just some other real things that I think are really irrelevant when you look out and see that any two people that can biologically produce a child do not have to go through Yeah, look at Laurent and Danny. I know. Like, I mean, I can't imagine if they asked you all those questions. <laughs> and they didn't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, well, there's there's some other pretty good ones, but those wow. those come to mind. Like, what, what do you care what my father was like growing up? <laughs> so you, you brought up, all jokes aside, you brought up a really good point. This is kind of sex discrimination. Um, right. Because men who have a biological child and like we're focusing on the state of Texas they don't have to adopt their own so children here's, here's the trick and this is what gets sticky for our community so it's important to cover this because currently our marriage is recognized yes, right? currently I get to be put on the birth certificate, but the birth certificate is not because I am giving, given any legal rights. It's by virtue of being married to the person who gave birth. There is a presumption of parentage somewhat, but technically, um, and I want everybody to hear this because this is a battle that, that me and some of those family law attorneys we're talking about have dealt with since, since marriage equality. Being put on a birth certificate, hear me now, believe me later being put on a birth certificate does not give you any legal parental rights at all it's nice and believe me I love being on my children's birth certificate but it doesn't really mean anything um, if I were a man then there is a presumption of um, uh, uh, paternity paternity thank you David I try to 
put all of that out of my head. It's not uh, a lesbian but, term. Right, it's not. It's, it's not it's given not. in the handbook at all, so I don't use it very often. But um, there's that presumption. So it's different there. But again, I don't want to get too convoluted in this because I do really want people to understand the birth certificate thing. And this has happened particularly with a lot of female couples. And I know we're, you know, dancing the line between uh, gender and sex and everything, but it is somewhat different depending on how families are created Absolutely. right now. And one thing that's different than my situation that we have a lot more than the reciprocal IVF situation where it's kind of mind-blowing that a biological mom has to adopt her own kids, I get it, like that's kind of insane, but we still have the situation where, let's just say Kimberly carried and it was IUI, where it is her own egg. I'm on the birth certificate with Lord Mary, but I don't have any biological connection to that child. For you that are out there that are in this situation, you better do what's called a second parent adoption while you can still do it. And so that's something that I want the community to hear a lot, is that if you really want to make sure that you are recognized legally in every aspect of legality, <laughs> that you are the legal parent, you need to do the second parent adoption for that child. So is this... The, the lawsuit we're talking about, is this specific to Texas? Yes. That's what I thought, because yes. I've heard some different situations in different yeah, states. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up for a lot of reasons. Actually, I did the CLE a couple years ago on this, and it really is amazing how different it is from state to state. Mm -hmm. So not all states are like this. Some states are worse, believe it or not, and some states are, are better, not shockingly. Um, so no, you don't have to do this. However, the other thing I want to say is that Adoption is the fullest thing you can do. So if you are ever going to move to a different state, I would much, much prefer to see you have the adoption in place because you don't know what that state is going to recognize. So other things that you can do, because there are some other things you can do. There are other court orders. There are other things to recognize your role in a child's life. But that's not as, as permanent uh, you know, to say as an adoption. So we don't know that if you went to Arkansas, for example, that that would be recognized. Adoption is the best option because it rhymes, and I just realized that. And so, so it may, would make a good uh, ad for you. Right. <laughs> Except I don't do family law. <laughs> <laughs> and just, just, just to Lori's point, how different things are, my daughter was born in Maryland. I'm the biological father. The I remember uh, our attorney even joking, you can't adopt your own biological child. Uh, again, in, again, that was in Maryland. Right. Danny did, but right. it's just so interesting how very different things are. But with Danny, were, it were was... Men. Right, so, right. Yes, it's, I it's, mean, it's very, it's, it's, you can spend hours right, like, going through, right. and, then, and then you've got, you know, trans men and women as well, and, you know, right. non-binary, and, and so there's a lot of mix well, here. And the problem is, is that things are, things are defined by law, and this is what gets back to my personal issue um, with adopting my own children, is that it's defined by, by sex you know, female, male, mother, father. Mm -hmm. that, those are the issues when it comes to some of the parentage. In the case of Maryland, the adoption was arranged before Gabrielle was born. Yeah, I was done, I think it's called a pre-birth order. Yeah. And it was just a matter of filing, and it was just a matter of weeks before the adoption right. was done. Right, and so if you look at Kimberly Nye's situation, from a technical standpoint, she did somewhat of a surrogacy, right? Yeah. So there are surrogacy arrangements that you can do where I wouldn't, if I had used a surrogate, maybe not be in the same situation, but I didn't want to take, any way, take away any of Kimberly's rights to the children, because mm -hmm. ultimately, if we go to the DNA test, she's the one that's screwed, right? Right, so right. I got all the genetics going for me. So, 
Anyway, um, yeah, yes, and it is different. It, yeah. it is very different state to state, and it's why it's good to go to attorneys who know what they're doing, particularly ones that are within our community that that have done this for a while. And before we move on, I know we need to move on to the Burgerville, but just one last question about this. Um, so I know you, you know, you've emphasized this for years now that uh, birth certificate alone does not grant you legal parentage. Yes, please hear that. Please hear everybody. that. And I'm, I'm just, sorry, but it is the truth. <laughs> it is the truth. But I'm wondering, just going from my own experience, what possible scenarios would even somebody even challenge your parentage or, or question it? Aside of that. Like, so. Is that not enough? <laughs> Do you know how many affected families being ripped apart? In the um, case of a death. Social security. Okay, that's a good one. Benefits. In the case um, of death, like one of the death parents. claims. Okay, um, okay. Even being denied access uh, to a medical facility or making medical decisions right. for children. Right, if, if something were to happen to Kimberly and um, her parents wanted custody of the kids. Uh, okay, good, good yeah. point. Because I'm thinking like, so when we went to enroll, uh, anybody who's a parent knows this, when you first enroll your child in a school, you have to give them all kinds of documents. Right. And a birth certificate is one of those. Outside of that, I don't know if I've ever had to use it. Hopefully not. Yeah, hopefully not. You so. and Danny need to stay together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we threatened them when they first were talking about getting uh, pregnant. We said, no, you need to be married first. Right. Oh, because we were. We didn't want to have a bear. You don't want to live in sin. <laughs> we didn't want to live in sin. Or as David likes to put it, we didn't want to have a bastard kid. Oh, boy. <laughs> I know. I, I'm very puritanical that way. I, I know this about you, David. <laughs> as long as you know that. But no, we were. <laughs> so let's talk about a couple of cases um, that might invalidate Obergefell. There are two in Texas right mm -hmm. now. One is... Uh, a justice of the peace in Waco who sued, she, she wasn't uh, trying to be nasty about it, and the tone of her lawsuit was kind of interesting to read. Um, she just wanted to be able to refer same-sex couples to somebody else right in her building, do it politely, and just have them married by somebody whose religion did not forbid same-sex marriage. Uh, she was told no, and the case could still be appealed as far as, far as I understand. Um, the Jack County judge goes a little bit farther also. He's able to marry people being the county judge. He doesn't want to marry same-sex couples, doesn't want to be real polite about it. And by the way, it mentions in the lawsuit, uh, Obergefell was found incorrectly and should be repealed. And he's just that blunt and is planning on when he loses uh, appealing it. So that's probably what will go to the Supreme Court. Mm. There's, there's tons of cases there's, throughout the country that could trickle up and, and give the, there, there's no, there is no doubt that there's plenty of opportunity of cases getting in front of the United Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court allowing them to revisit Obergefell. Okay. It doesn't matter these two cases in Texas. It, it just does not matter. There's, there's tons of opportunity. So let's say, let's just use this case of the county judge who wants to repeal Obergefell. It goes to the Fifth Circuit, gets from the Fifth Circuit, would get appealed to the Supreme Court. They could either decide to hear it or not. Um, what if the Supreme Court decided to repeal Obergefell, what could Texas legislate? Or do they have to even legislate anything? 
Well, here's here's the thing, and the only thing we know is that we don't have any idea what right. could happen, but we're anything's on the table. Right. Anything is on the table. And so, this is Texas, so you know, we're not expecting nice. I believe it was 2005 when Texas voted in a constitutional amendment That's defining correct. marriage between one man and one woman. Yep. And that has stayed on the book, and it has never been taken off, and even after Obergefell, when it's rendered um, basically invalid, Interestingly enough, by not having it taken out of our Constitution, if Obergefell is overturned, it's already, it's already there. It's already the law of Texas and the Constitution of how they define marriage. So it follows so, the same thing, just like the abortion issue. Right. It's kind of like a trigger law, right? Right. So um, we don't know what this could mean. It could mean that they're just not going to grant marriage license going forward, but those who are already married will stay married and that will be recognized or it could be that they're just not going to recognize any marriages henceforth which I don't even know how they could do from a legal standpoint because this is a community property state the minute you get married a lot of automatic things start happening um, with with your assets and, and, and your property that I don't even know how they're going to dismantle it but it'll probably make a lot of lawyers rich just not me the family law attorneys so and I know you don't know so many hypotheticals but just kind of legally, could you talk about what it would look like if um, marriage, if, if a Burgerfield is uh, reversed? We're talking about not just property rights, inheriting rights, um, yeah, uh, custody so, issues. What would it look I mean, like for someone who's already legally married? Right. It kind of puts us back where we were, which, as I said in the beginning, I've been doing this long enough to know where we were. And the, the good news, if there's any good news with this, is that you still have so much that you can create through these legal documents, um, through estate planning, through wills, trust, powers of attorney, um, through guardianship paperwork, through doing adoptions, through doing, you can still do all of those things. That's not going to go anywhere. Um, so that's that's really the best I can tell you. It's it's really uncertain. It, it's going to put us in a situation too, where if uh, if some states do choose, because this is the thing, if they overturn a Burgafell. That, is it going to be a state-by-state state thing? Because Windsor made the federal government recognize um, marriage equality. So we had that weird period between Windsor and Obergefell where if you're a Texan and you're married, you got married in a different state, you could file federal income taxes. Correct. You could, uh, as married, you qualify for each other's Social Security. Right. Like any federal light rights were there for you, but not any of the state rights. So are we going to be in that situation again, or are they going to try and go as far back as pre-Windsor where the federal government doesn't recognize it anymore? Um, we just don't know. And could they actually be nasty about it and void all Texas marriages. Well, that, so again, it's, I don't want to get caught up on semantics here because it's just about recognition. I mean, it's, if they're not going to recognize the marriage, then it doesn't, it, it's like the marriage. So they can't happened. physically, obviously, take away a marriage license that you already have. <laughs> Right. It just, just like before, I mean, you know, there, there was a long time before where you, people are getting married in other states and other countries and coming back here and living in Texas. And, and I guess when I say void, if somebody were to be married in Texas, move to another state that recognizes marriage, and for some reason has to check with Dallas County, do you have a copy of my marriage license, uh, and they see it's between two people of the same sex, 
they would have to say, no, that's a null and void document. Yeah, I, uh, that, that brings up an interesting issue. I have not heard that until today. I don't know if they can or if they would. Um, they would try. Yeah. I don't know if they can do that. But to just void a marriage license or like a null. Like, I hereby yeah. annul all marriages between... I mean, I don't, I don't think that's a legal thing, but um, I'm not entirely sure. Here's, here's another issue, and with all the documents that, you know, Lori... Um, so eloquently talks about even with all of that it, it just in full honesty it can't replicate what a marriage license does there are certain things that a marriage comes with a marriage license that just can't be replicated well there are things being married that there's no legal contractual documents that two people can sign to create however i don't want to and i know you're not doing this but i just want to make sure i can't put too fine a point on it and how essential it is for right. single people married people lgbtq people straight people what have you to have these documents in place because nothing can nothing can replace having a will or a trust. And I think what Lauren is talking about are rights like um, you can't like, testify you can't be made right. to testify against the spouse in court. Interesting that that is the first one you come up with, but yes, you would lose well, your spousal, I, spousal immunity where you cannot well, testify. Well, because I'm thinking what a criminal Lauren is. Well, then, that's the first what thing. What are you I, telling I, Danny is the question. <laughs> right, so Danny, for those who don't know what we're talking about, if I were to do something and I got tried for it, they can't make Danny testify against me. Correct, yes. That, that's one of the benefits of being married. Applying for each other's social security, exactly. um, health benefits, other benefits through your employer, uh, immigration status, as well as um, military benefits, if yes. one of these in the military. So those are a lot of the common. And then what we mentioned earlier about parents, uh, parentage is wrongful death claims, and those are all, there's no way to contractually create any of those things. Right, right. Right. Why don't we take our break? You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis. Our guest is Lori Birch. She is an attorney, and we're speculating on what would happen if Obergefell got overturned, the marriage equality law. Uh, we'll be back with more right after this. This is Lewis from UT Arlington, and I listen to Lambda Weekly podcast on and this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis. Uh, Laurent, you... So, in, in, in the midst of all of this, uh, I guess, scaring from about Obergefell possibly being um, overturned next... Who, who knows how soon? It would soon. take a couple of years. It would take a couple of years. Um, but it's very much a possibility. Um, in the meantime, well, going back to the uh, even the abortion issue, a lot of people were wondering why was uh, Roe v. Wade never codified in federal law. Well, now they're trying to do that with respect to marriage, and that's the name of it. It's called the Respect for Marriage Act, and um, it passed the House of Representatives what a week and a half ago, um, with 47 um, Republicans coming on board to support it. Um, and it's and it's also uh, this will codify same-sex marriage federally, but also interracial marriage. People forget this part. Um, it's also included in this. Um, but what it interesting. Interesting what it does not do, uh, the bill would not require every state to license a same-sex marriage. What it will do is require every state to recognize a same-sex marriage. So that's a big, that's, that's, I think that's important to distinguish. But we'll see if it has enough support to get through uh, the Senate. Yeah, that, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, um, 
you know, 60 plus threshold right now right. that they have in the Senate makes right. it a little difficult to mm -hmm. think that anything. I mean, we know we have a president that would sign it, yep. but getting through the Senate and with the filibuster rule, it doesn't, you just don't know. Doesn't look good. There'd have to be a, I don't know, and I don't know what the midterms hold and what that's going to look like, but it's hard, it's hard to speculate. And then, of course, the Supreme Court could always overturn that. That's true. It's very true. Right. <laughs> Although one of their arguments with this was, that, well, it was never codified by the uh, Congress. Right. So, but just because they said that then, if they don't want it to happen, doesn't mean that this... Yeah, I mean, work. part of their leverage would be the whole state-to-state -state thing, which is probably why they wrote the bill that way, to mm -hmm. allow states to still not recognize, uh, or not grant it, right. but have to recognize right. it. Right, right. So some of the things that would be complicated if all of a sudden states were not recognizing our uh, marriages. Taxes. If you're filing joint taxes and you have a carryover from one year to the next, a deduction to carry over from one year to the next, how would that happen when all of a sudden you're not married anymore? Yeah, I, it's, I mean, I'm no CPA. To in in a divorce, that, I mean, I in a divorce, it takes the judge to decide. Yeah, it's, what, that's it's, an I, I think it's particularly a messy in community property states like ours because when you get married in Texas, from the moment you say your I do's, anything that you acquire, regardless of whose name it's in, is community property. Income off separate property is community property. So if you've got a 401k that's worth $200,000 and then it's now $400,000 after you got married, uh, $200,000 of that is community property. And it just goes on and on and on. So what do we do then if if we're going to not recognize the marriage, at what point are we not going to recognize it? So does that mean that there isn't community property? I mean, it just, it's almost impossible to sort out. Yeah, sounds like I don't know how they would do it. So is that one of the pleasures we'd get, watching them sort out the mess? <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of these one of the few pieces of hope that I cling on to mm -hmm. that could possibly steer them from not doing something so drastic is it would have such a huge ripple effect in our legal system and our court system to do something like that. And it's one reason why I was pretty sure they were going to um, actually rule in the favor of marriage equality, not because I thought um, that you know it was just a done deal and it's the way it should be, is because it was so messy legally once the Windsor decision, well, two things. When other states started granting right. marriages and then when Windsor um, struck down DOMA, it was getting so messy that it, you, people would get married and they couldn't get divorced. So you'd have Texans run off to California, or I always use, love to use the example of Iowa because they had marriage equality way before all other states. It was like um, yeah. And, and come back to Texas, and then if they wanted to get divorced, they, you, ha you could get married in other places, but you had to be a resident to get divorced there. Right. So if you split up here in Texas, and all of a sudden now a marriage is recognized, and you have already blown through three other relationships since then, you've been creating community property, causing a lot of issues this whole time. And so it was very very, very messy, and so I don't know how realistically they look at those things. I mean, I don't really, frankly, with the way things have gone down, I don't know how they look at things at all, but um, that is something that would make me somewhat hopeful that they might tread a little lightly on this, but you, you, we don't know. Yeah, but it was only, not only messy because of the divorce issue, it was messy just for just even 
pure travel sake. You're driving from one state, you're married, you enter another state, you're not married. And if something were to happen to you, you know, would it be recognized? You just could be on a family vacation. And yeah, it, it was just messy. Yeah. It got even yeah. messier in Oklahoma where you could be married on, an, on a reservation and then oh you got to the rest of the state and it wasn't recognized yeah. anymore. I do, I do want everybody, though, to still know that you can still, no matter what, marry your first cousin in Texas. So, there you go. Well, that's a good, healthy thing. Get out of here. Are you me. serious? I, I wish I, I were not. <laughs> I did not know that. I thought it had to be like a third. <laughs> <laughs> there ought to be a law. So, how would um, a loss of Obergefell... I'm losing my voice again. I thought you were getting choked up. Uh, how would a loss of Obergefell affect Social Security? Well, so Social Security is federal, so it depends on whether the federal government is going to recognize these marriages. So again, that's what Windsor did, and that's why it's going to be interesting to know how far they go, because if if the federal DOMA, and for those who may not remember this, the Defense of Marriage Act, um, that was struck down, I would think that that would probably still be the case. But again, I, I do not want to speculate on what's going to happen. I like to talk about what you can do, how you can be proactive, and it's all the same stuff you should have been done, doing all along. But um, that would be something where if the federal government is still recognizing your marriage, then you could still qualify for Social Security. Um, okay, so we've been talking about adoption. Would you, in your adoption, have to do anything any differently if you weren't married? Um, that's a very good question for a family law attorney. <laughs> um, I possibly, I know it's somewhat different for the second parent adoption scenario where I would not be the biological parent. Um, I'm not sure how much Kimberly would have to play into that or have to consent to that because I do know some couples that have split up that because the birth mom was still agreeable the other one was able to go through a second parent adoption so it might it might add a wrinkle to it I'm not so sure yeah of course I'm not an attorney at all but from but my play one on TV I play one on TV and that's what pays my check. But anyway, um, I, I have my understanding you, for a couple or for two people to adopt, you do have to be married. Well, so that's a different thing. And you're absolutely correct. So it depends on, um, you know, certain adoption agencies and what have you. But yes, there are um, many adoption agencies where in order to adopt, you have to be married to adopt. So it would affect that situation. But in the, you know, in my specific situation where there is some bio biological connection somewhere, then that's where it's a little bit uh, more nebulous. Mm -hmm. Okay, so things like debts, um, a mortgage, um, credit card debt, property ownership. Um, in a divorce, it's split by the court or by the couple that brings it to the court. If all of a sudden we're not recognizing our marriages, what happens to a mortgage? Well, it depends on who it's in the name of. If it's in both the names. If it's in both names, then it's both of their their debts, so they're going to have to slug it out. But it, it, there is a, a and this is a really good uh, reason to have your documents in order. Um, if you have a house together, and if it's fifty-fifty, if some if one of those that has 
passes away, that family could challenge and have you buy that other half out. Yeah, they actually could. And this, you know, so, you know, you asked about divorce, you're mentioning death, two different situations, because actually, even as it stands now, someone's personal debts are still their, per their, their estate is responsible for that. A, a, a married spouse is not unless they've co-signed for it to some degree. Now you bring up mortgage, that's a little bit more convoluted because if that's a home they own together then that's obviously not a debt they can necessarily walk away from. But in Texas when two people own a house together, I don't care if you're married or not, it does not automatically go to your spouse or the joint owner. Other states have this, okay, but we do not. It's called joint tenancy with rights of survivorship. Texas does not have this. So it is not an automatic thing for a home or anything like that. There has to be something put in place. Um, again, you know, the takeaway here is for the LGBTQ community is that all the planning options are on the table for you. There's nothing that's not on the table for you except when it has to do with estate tax avoidance, by the way, um, that is not on the table for you. It's the consequences of not having it. Now, consequences are bad for single people and straight married couples, but it's all the worse because there's all these other elements at play of not having it. So when it comes to things like your children, um, your assets, you know, these things that you care about, you need to shore this up with a sound legal plan, and the only way you should be doing that is through a qualified attorney. And I guess that's one of the reasons I'm asking you these things. Should the LGBT community be preparing for an end, a possible end to Obergefell? Yes. And one of the ways would be a will. And the reason I say yes, David, is because the planning is the same. And should, if you, I would have answered as, just as emphatically if you said, should a single person be preparing to have this. Yes, people need to have their affairs in order. If you don't believe me, take a day or a week to spend at our office and listen to all the calls we get from people who have loved ones who've passed away and the total mess that was left behind because they didn't do anything or they did something on the internet or they did this but they didn't do that. It is a mess and it's terrible and it's not, it, it's not the kind of legacy or story that you want told about yourself. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned doing something on the internet which could make things even worse. But, however, as you've mentioned uh, early in the show, this can be costly. So what would you recommend? Not doing it can be costly. Doing this is just a part of being an adult and a responsible human being. So I have no sensitivity <laughs> to people who can't find a way to see the value in investing in their family and their loved ones in their darkest hour zero sensitivity mm -hmm. to it because I promise you it's going to be way more expensive way more time-consuming if you don't do anything at the same time I understand that it's money it's real money and if you're gonna do it right it's not gonna be pocket change but you know I look at it this way you pay your homeowners insurance every year what is that two three thousand dollars at least you pay car insurance what does that add up to you pay that every single year you never know if you are going to have a claim on your home or a car accident or an issue there but you pay it every single year well you could say because it's required but then my question is well if it wasn't required would you still do it and if your answer is yes then you need to understand for the same cost one time for something you know is going to happen to you 
This is why I have no sensitivity to it. You can find a way, it's just not seeing the value in it. What we try to do at our firm is to help you understand the value in it. Yes, it can be $1,000, $2,000, $3,000, $4,000, it could, but to have a plan that is gonna protect you, your children, and make things as easy as possible when you're no longer here, because that will happen. When you're no longer here, it is well worth that tenfold. Okay, so if somebody is young, writes up a will, it's a very simple will because they don't have uh, that many assets. And then along the way, they get married or not. They might have children, uh, but they've acquired some other assets that were not even thought of in the original will. Can you amend the will or do you need a whole new will? Well, I mean, it's kind of an a issue without distinction because, you know, with word processing these days, it's just as easy, if not easier, for us just to create a new will than to go and try and tinker and do amendments, or in this case, a codicil. So, yeah, you update these things all the time. It's not, it's not an issue to do that. The other thing, though, is that um, wills and trusts are written typically more generically, which is makes, makes them more durable. So if I write a will that says I want everything I have to go to Kimberly, well, it doesn't matter if I get a new car or buy a new house or anything like that, it'll be included in it. The only reason to update it is, let's say I decide to invest in a rental property with my sister, well maybe I want that to go to my sister, well I should update the document to reflect that. So um, there, they can be very comprehensive to account for future scenarios. We try to build in a lot of contingencies, but at the same time life you know, changes and then you just update these mm -hmm. plans. And like you said, you know, it's costly, but it's, it is one time. Well, you know, and it's not necessarily one time, but it's not like, you know, and it's not I like you're going to pay but, a fee it's, every year. Right, it's not a fee every year. And we actually just launched this new program this year called the CYA Cover Your Assets Plan. Awesome. Get it, right? Awesome. So this is something that I'm very passionate about. I'm looking to really grow this with the firm because having the legal documents in place, yes, that's very important, but have you made sure that your beneficiaries are coordinated with your plan on life insurance and retirement? Do you know how your accounts are set up? Do you even understand what it is to have a POD, a pay on death? Have you made sure that there's a list of emergency contact people that can get into your home and communicate with those? Mm. Um, what if you have pets in the house? You know, Are they going to be able to get to them? Usernames, passwords words, utility companies that they're going to have to call, where do you keep important paperwork, who needs to be contacted. So the CYA plan for Birch Lots, exclusive to our firm, is something that we're developing as an add-on plan for those who want some extra hand-holding to make sure all those things, because the singular question that we ask people when it comes to this is if you died today, or your would your family or loved ones know where to start and know what to do? You may have a will, you may have a trust. Do they even know where it is? Right. Do they even know where your bank accounts are? Do they even know where to start? And that's what we really want to create because our goal, every single client has told us that they want things to be as easy and as straightforward as po possible and not to leave a mess. And I'm just encouraging everyone, particularly our community who I designed my practice for, to not leave a mess, leave a legacy. How often should somebody review those documents? So with the CYA plan, that's something that's built into it. We're going to review those every year with you. Um, but I would say for those just in general, every three to five years, unless there's been some triggering life events. And that's what like I like having kids. Like having kids or moving or, you know, somebody getting, it, it, look, it follows this. Married, divorce, births, death, change in assets, buying a new home, moving, those mm -hmm. all be, and it may not be that you have to change anything, but it's good to revisit it. And that's what I'm talking about. Just yeah. Because uh, in five years, you acquire a whole lot of little stuff even that you didn't realize all of a sudden you had. You might have changed banks. You might have changed 
Uh, your absolutely that kind of thing. Right, Lori, we are out of time. Thanks so much, thank Lori. My pleasure, guys. Let's do it again. Absolutely. We're going out with some music from Lisa Messiah, and thank you for listening to this this edition of Lori and Order.